0: Hello, and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Dreams, and today we're talking esports coaching. It's really an interesting subject because in sports, coaches are almost more famous than many of the players they coach. They're icons who create long standing legacies and are credited for much of the team's success. But in esports, coaches don't receive the same respect and they don't really play the same roles. Devin Huge, a writer for eSports Network, among other publications, joins the show to talk about the wide world of eSports coaching and why North America in particular needs to change its attitude towards coaching. Thanks for joining the show, Devin.
1: Hey, Mitch. How's it going?
0: Great to have you on. One of the few writers for eSports Network, one of those consistent freelancers we have on our staff uh, who hasn't been on the podcast. So he reached out with this topic wanting to talk about eSports coaching. He's been something that's on my mind a lot. I was happy to see that pitch but Devin to you why do you want to cover this topic why is it interesting to you
1: uh well you, you mentioned uh traditional sports uh, a few moments ago and uh I come from a background of 11 years in uh soccer uh and a lot of my family are uh professional uh, or have been professional sports coaches so uh that comes up a lot and like I've just been immersed in that like mindset of like Tackling competitive, like sporting in both traditional and esports, from like a a, a strategic angle, basically, and I I think we are incredibly lacking, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, we're we're lacking in in many ways for for esports coaching. Uh, coaching in esports to me is more of a formality than any than any any like benefit that we're actually getting from it.
0: Yeah, especially in these early days of esports coaching. You mentioned ahead of the show that, you know, the LCS has just mandated coaches a few years ago. So what role a coach plays is not nearly as fleshed out as it is in traditional sports, where you have these coaches that have longer, bigger legacies than even some of the teams. You think about people in, like, college football with Bear Bryant, uh, people in the NBA, like Phil Jackson, these names that are just so much bigger on par with the biggest stars in their sports. Mm-hmm. And the soccer comparison is a really interesting one. I liked how you, you flesh this out. There's a ton of parallels between the MLS and the LCS, especially as they relate to competitive play in their wider ecosystem. This is, these are two games where America is not the dominant sport. They do not create Good the boy. best athletes uh, and the MLS and LCS play very similar roles. Flesh that out a little bit for us. What are those parallels you see between Major League Soccer and the League of Legends Championship
1: Series? Ooh, okay, so <laughs> uh, LCS is often compared to a retirement home, and that's because we, we get a lot of imports. We, get, uh, like, we have tons of world champions in our region, but North America has never been a world champion themselves. We have uh, players coming from from Europe and Korea, uh, to come and get North American money, basically North American positions, uh, but the MLS is incredibly similar. There and it's very similarly mocked uh, as being a retirement home. You know, David Beckham, who, who was very successful in uh, in Europe, came over and joined LA Galaxy and got like a fifty million dollar paycheck in like two thousand eight, and. <laughs> We, we have the exact same things happening here. Like uh, we, we have Huni uh, who, who, who like famously got like, I think it was like a $2 million contract, which was like unheard of, especially considering his performance in recent splits. He got like a $2 million contract, like I think last year or it might've been this year, but just a ridiculous amount of, of salary uh, just because he, he was a highly valued in, in, import. And, uh, to be honest, Hooney's not, has not exactly been competitive. He, he even got downshifted to the academy position and has yet to perform despite even having that recent $2 million contract, at least rumored, uh, $2 million. But my, my point still stands he, This, like there are tons of players, not even just Hooney who are coming here who have already found their success overseas and they want to, uh, to cash in and relax and that's not to say something about like imports not providing not providing benefits to the league i think there are many examples of of imports providing a lot of experience and like uh and, and just improving the league overall but there are various instances where it does not improve
0: absolutely it's been kind of a running joke and the mls has had a sort of a resurgence you see some people come over but it still has that perception no it's never going to be on the premier league level and Mm -hmm. so you have players who are solid legacy players but then their value starts to decline as younger players uh, come up through the ranks they're not getting the same contract they might have gotten four years ago so they turn to america and they're like hey MLS team who really wants to fill, fill the seats, but maybe a brand new team as we've just had what six or seven new MLS clubs all be created in the last, uh, four years. I think there's Sacramento, St. Louis and Austin are all expanding now. And recently we've also had, uh, Miami FC. We've had LA FC. We've had, a uh, NYFC. I'm, I'm just throwing names out here, but these are all clubs that have been created. Over the last few years, and when you have a new club with a lot of money behind it, the first thing they want to do is have a big name to attach to it, to draw Mm -hmm. fans. And that's kind of similar to what's happening in the LCS as well. Riot franchises three years ago, they bring in some old school esports organizations that have had a long standing legacy, but they also bring in some sports money, maybe some new esports organizations and those teams want to prove they belong. So they pay a lot of money for a player who probably isn't worth that money. So they have the name that comes with it. And, you know, it's it's interesting to see what value they're actually getting out of those players. Do you think it makes sense for them to keep poaching this retirement talent, to have the headline, to have the draw, or should they should organizations be changing their focus a little bit, maybe both in the MLS and the LCS?
1: Hmm. So... W- with this issue specifically, there there's a lot of intangible value. Like, even uh, if you compared, uh, say, like, uh, content engagement stats uh, before and after acquiring some big player, there there's going to be, like, intangible effects that this player's presence has on your brand that you can't calculate exactly. Uh, and if we were to look like specifically at that, I'm not even sure how much of a change it would even be. Like, I I have got to think that it's not worth it, at least from a just just a pure stat value, to to pay the excessive amounts of money to shell out for these personalities. And like that that eventually, that like really is what it is. Uh, you're you're shelling out for personalities, as you said, like uh, players that have probably passed their prime, and that you're really they're really more just there to bring in fans. Uh, I, I can't see the the value from it, especially when uh, like, esports is still a budding industry. It's it's it, there's a lot of money behind it, much more money than there was like uh like a few years ago, but it it's nowhere near at that scale of profitability as traditional sports. So it, I I can't say that you would ever get like the the, the big bonus that you're getting for say like recruiting a player like like Bang, who was a former world champion, came to North America, and he hasn't exactly competed. He he's he's made it to playoffs a couple times, I believe, uh, but he he has yet to even win a regional championship uh, in North America since coming here.
0: Right, and when these players came over, it was like, oh, the the top talent from Korea is coming over to dominate. They're gonna they're gonna run it up, and that's just not been the case, because as they because if they were still as good as they were in Korea, they'd still be playing in Korea. They would not have come over to America. Yep. But this is actually focused on coaching. I think this is an interesting parallel and something worth talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. but there's an aspect of the MLS and LCS comp that relates to coaching, and it's specifically how coaches approach roles for players and. Uh, a trend I think started about 25 years ago where there was this whole thing for young athletes that, hey, they need to specialize early and they need to Mm -hmm. find not just the sport they want to play, but the position within that sport they want to play so that they can focus on it completely. Uh, And it's something that creates a potential issue in terms of teamwork and uh, full understanding of either the field or the virtual or the rift, depending on what, what you're playing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that is sort of changing in the sports world a little bit over the last 10 years, people are like, Oh wait, actually, no. It benefits our goalies to understand what it's like to be an attacking player. Like they, They can have that experience. That's good. Um, can you flesh out that specific comp and why that relates to coaching and how it impacts the ability of coaches to really be successful?
1: Of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Mish, did you ever play uh, traditional sports?
0: I did. I was a soccer player in high school. Also played tennis, basketball, really all around until I got injured, and then I played esports because I needed competition.
1: All right, all right. I, I think we're we're pretty similar then. Um, <laughs> so, when uh, when when I first started playing, uh, like as you mentioned, like there was this this focus on specialization, and. The the parallel to uh, something like League of Legends is abundantly clear, especially in North America. Uh, players will, before they're even like in in ranked, because you have those thirty levels to get to to get to before you start playing ranked games. Uh, they're gonna choose a favorite position, and like that that's just kind of ingrained, uh, and that's kind of rough. But I think that needs to just be that needs to be tackled, that needs to be gotten rid of, because when you're only focusing on one position. And we have a lot of that and it's hyper-focused in North America. We have things like one called one tricks where you only play one champion. So it's, it's hyper-focusing and hyper-focusing even more than uh, is already have like should be happening. So we have these, these one tricks and these one position players and they're, they're going all in. And the, as you said, they know nothing about the other player. So we're, coaching comes in is like there there should be a focus on foundational knowledge and just general knowledge that will contribute to the overall gameplay when when you're playing mid lane when you're playing mid lane in league of legends and everybody know, most people know in league of legends that the mid jungle synergy is incredibly important as a mid laner if you know where your jungler is going to be and where the opponent jungler is going to be you can plan accordingly um but if you all you know is about your your mid lane like position, how to like say trade uh, against your enemy mid laner, and like uh, manage the waves effectively, while that's important, knowing about the other aspects of the game is is, is expansive. Uh, like you, you'll have a massive advantage over the other teams, and it, it, it's crazy to me that this the, like just knowledge this is just knowledge (laughs) uh it's just being neglected we and i feel like it's just so much more potent in in north america and still while still needs growth in other other regions like uh do you follow g2 at all
0: of course yeah i love my uh, love my european friends
1: yeah yeah g2 uh last year did something unprecedented. They sent uh, perks down to the bot lane and they brought in caps who was a, a world-class mid laner and so perks demonstrated something that no other team had really done before and uh, that a role swap can happen and it will benefit the team. like he went from mid lane to bot lane and they played even better than they did before. If anybody in North America attempted the same thing, I don't think we would find any semblance of the success that G2 did. And it's, I I think we should start working towards that coaching. And how how this relates into coaching is, it's just just the the emphasis on on knowledge. Our, Our emphasis is always just, as I said earlier, just the position that you're already playing. And there are so many holes. There are so many things because people are just rushing to know what they can. And like immediately, uh, I, I feel like I've gone a little rambled here. Yeah. <laughs> Reel me. Yeah, in it's a, a podcast.
0: <laughs> they're, they're made for rambling. That's the whole point of the medium. Yeah. <laughs> it's I think you're, you bring up a really good point is that positionless play is the hardest thing to do. And the most consistent marker of the greatest players and the greatest teams, If you watch uh, Premier League soccer, for example, I was watching Liverpool uh, Mm -hmm. play this past weekend, and the way they move, even compared to the MLS, is completely within motion. They're all moving with each other. If that means that the midfielder needs to fall back to center back, he does that without debate. He's not thinking about hey, this position is where I need to be. He just understands how the team needs to move around the ball, and that's something that like you mentioned with G2, it's possible to do if you understand all those positions. But when you're one trick, and this is true of MLS, is somebody will miss their assignment and the whole defense will fall apart. Because it's all predicated on everyone playing that one specific role. And it does not nearly have the same level of uh, cohesion, of of nuance that, that the best teams... In other countries are playing for. And to America's credit, that's true of other sports, say basketball. When you watch uh, a team in North America play or in the NBA play basketball, we're moving towards this very positionless format where it's, oh, it's a bunch of people all playing around each other. Uh, The big men are no longer just staying underneath the basket. They're out by the three-point line. And in other places, that's still not true because America's got the best basketball players. they the best basketball league. And it's sort of a marker of you have the best players and it the games take on this added level of synergy that's only really seen at the absolute top level. Uh, and that, again, comes down to coaching in a lot of ways and coaching from early days and then also coaching that continues into the pro play and having players who are receptive to having coaches actually talk with them. And I think that's one of the big things we need to talk about is esports coaching is, especially in North America, are coaches respected? I think some are, but quite a few probably just got thrown into their role. Where do you think there? Do you think uh, North America, especially just focusing, you know, because there's coaches in every eSport, focusing in on the LCS and North American League of Legends coaches, do you think they're generally respected by the players, or do you think there's some work that needs to be done to improve that?
1: Mm, I, I think there's a spectrum. Um and I, I think that spectrum is just indicative of the problem. Uh, there's there's no like standard, I guess, because uh, we will have like someone highly respected, we'll have somebody highly capable and has proven himself over the years. Uh Reaperd uh, is the coach for the League of Legends Cloud Nine team, and he he's shown his ability to be able to develop players and uh, bring them up to a competitive level very quickly, and have them function as like a cohesive team, like straight out of academy. Um, and then uh, we we have coaches like uh, CLG's Weldon, who, like, no offense to Weldon, it, he has no strategic value to provide. Uh, Weldon is famously known for his. Uh, he, he's more of a mentalist or something. He's like a he's a mental coach basically. He he provides like uh, like framework and uh, support. He he's more of like a guiding. Like he he guides conversations, he doesn't start conversations. Um and while like I think that could be important, uh Weldon is the head coach for CLG. Uh so they have probably like they, they have no like leading figure that are that is pointing their their like strategic philosophy or direction. And uh, I, I think that's just North America in general. We don't have like as I said a standard. Uh, some coaches will be well-respected. Some are just not. And it's all just because, yeah, we it, it's a young industry. People are filling the position just because they've been here for a bit. You know, Weldon was uh, was on contract for with TSM for, like, several years, and TSM had success. So CLG probably thought, oh, uh, Weldon had some success with TSM. He wasn't head coach, but maybe he'll do something for us uh, without even considering that, hey, Weldon doesn't really know anything about League of Legends. <laughs> oh, sorry,
0: Weldon, if you listen to this podcast. Brutal. Oh, man. Brutal takes. But <laughs> it's, it's a fair enough critique when it comes down to what how these coaches are approaching it. And it's one of the knocks on esports in general is that, okay, the LCS mandated that each team needs a coach. That's great. But ultimately, coaches have a ton of responsibility. And in traditional sports, they have coaching staffs for a reason, because there's a big difference in somebody who's really good at analytics and X's and O's and drawing plays and thinking about situations. And then somebody who's more of a mental coach, maybe like Weldon, who's more, better about managing players' mindsets. In sports, you usually hear the head coach as that mental coach, as a guy who, or, or girl now who has a control over the locker room and is keeping everyone in line. If somebody steps out, if there's issues, it falls on the coach. And generally they have coordinators who call plays or they have uh, analysts who look at different data to make decisions. They have general managers who actually affect all the team decisions. And it's all those different roles that go into being a successful coach. And that's not something that eSports has the luxury of having. You have one person who may have a very specific skill set, but also may have some very noticeable downsides to it. And so that's going to be something that's. I feel like esports coaching, especially when there's just one coach, is always going to be a little weird. And I know there's some teams have analysts as well to, to check out that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to coaching, just having one person feels like it's always going to pose some potential issues.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I do like the idea of bringing in analysts, especially for like an informational game like League of Legends. Um, People that play know that League of Legends updates like every like two to four weeks or so. And there's always something changing in the game, whether that's like a champion's uh, abilities, a new champion altogether, uh, stats on item changes, uh, things like that. Just tons of little small information uh, small bits of information being being inputted with every every single update. I don't think it's unreasonable for a team to have a an analyst that that focuses on these on these things, and especially when uh, I I want to start talking about uh, I mentioned this in our in our like pre show, but uh, the Clown Nine versus Team Liquid game that happened this past weekend. Um, it was, it brought a lot of attention, especially because, uh, these are two of the strongest teams in North America, but they, they faltered so, or specifically Cloud9 faltered so hard. I'm going to, I'm going to list these champions on, on, uh, Team Liquid. They have Mordekaiser, Syndra, Ezreal, Blitzcrank, Trundle. Now, if you play League of Legends, you know that they do a lot of magic damage. Even the Ezreal, who does a lot of, who, who's mainly, whose main role is an AD carry and doing a physical damage, he has a lot of magic damage worked into his kit. And so I have the stats here. <laughs> uh, I have the stats here. Uh, overall, they did 58% of their team's damage as magic damage. And that's pretty high. But if we look even further into it, we realize that. The amount of physical damage is incredibly low, so you would think, okay, I don't, I don't need to build armor, which is the defensive item to physical damage. I don't need to build armor, at least not that much. But we have players like Licorice and Nisky who are on Cloud9 who are rushing and to to get these armor items, which is against this magic damage based team, and it, it just doesn't make mathematical sense whatsoever and it's on the best team in North America and I can't help but think that has to be a coaching issue and if if there what was the disconnect there
0: (laughs) it's a great question I mean what how do you know what's going on in terms of strategy but yeah that's something that would normally fall upon the coach and it feels like in esports the coach doesn't bear that same level of responsibility is that something i'm Mm -hmm. making up or is that something you feel too because that's in sports it falls on the coach if you have two losing seasons you're gone the coach is gone yeah the quarterback might not be gone but the coach (laughs) is almost always gone and so i feel like in esports coaches just don't bear nearly that same level of responsibility for team success that they do in esports or in in esports they don't bear the same level of responsibility that they do in sports
1: yeah no i i definitely agree with that because like I've seen in like interviews and just like just interviews with players, and they'll say things like, "Yeah, no, the the draft that was all the players, or like the strategy, it's all the players." And at one on one hand, I I kind of agree because like the coach position is at this weird point where I said, you know, there's not really a lot of qualified uh qualified people in there. I, I at least I don't think so, and. <laughs> So it makes more sense for the players who know more about it to command that strategy. Right. But that, that's, that's so flawed because it, it needs to be the other way around. <laughs> uh, like there, there, there's a, there's a vacancy. There's just a complete vacancy in, in esports that is just not being addressed.
0: That's a, that's really the, the crux of it, right? Is that there's just, It falls on the players, and Mm -hmm. it's always a deferment to the players. And so I'm curious, do you think it's literally just because we've talked about the lack of qualified individuals? Is it just an aspect of, hey, esports just hasn't been around that long? If you started playing League of Legends competitively from the earliest day you could, you'd be 10 years vet. In sports, that's usually like the midpoint of your career if you're playing a really long one. Is there a level of, okay, we don't, why do we need a coach? Because if a coach was good enough, they'd just be playing? Like, there's no physical aspect. You don't have a coach like Greg Popovich, who's well-respected for his mind at basketball, but clearly could not actually get on the court and compete with these people. But because esports doesn't have that physical nature to it, our coaches at a disadvantage because they're always going to have to answer the question of, okay, if you're so smart, if you're so good, Why aren't you playing the game? What's stopping you from doing it? Is that always going to be like a constant issue for esports coaches?
1: Yeah, I definitely see like how that could be, how that like viewpoint could be made. Um, Here's the thing. I think there's a misunderstanding between the difference of an educator and a coach. Cause I, I think in my, my opinion, even with, Things like uh, co- like coaches with an emphasis on on data and an- analysis. The players should still always be better than the coaches, because yeah, you're right. Why aren't they in- on the field? And there's no physical requirement for esports. The thing is, is that the coaches need to need to be there to make the players better. They're 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 an enhancing tool, in my opinion. Uh, so like in, in the context of esports, that would be. Maybe doing the analysis, providing it to the players, and and like giving structure to their strategy. And but that's not there. So like the players are probably doing everything themselves. Okay. And like when you're doing everything yourself, there's always going to be something that you miss. There, like when you're doing two jobs at once, being a player and being a coach, they're yeah there's just gonna be oversight so like this thing with clown nine where oh yeah they just major itemization issues while yeah, that that is ridiculous and i i think if a coach if a qualified coach was there i'm obviously Reaper is a highly qualified coach but maybe do they need an, an analyst i i have to think so because otherwise who, who who let this happen licorice himself licorice by all means has proved himself as like a top tier like a uh, player, but he's still made these mistakes. Um, Yes. <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs>
0: fair, fair point. It's, it's a mistake. And in this case, you know, it feels like people blame licorice for it, but ultimately it should probably fall on the coach. So here's another difference in the sports and esports as we try and illustrate the sports and esports divide and one that i think affects esports in a lot of ways that people aren't totally aware of right now and it's the lack of a formalized run-up to professional play and i talk about this a lot in media and how players hardly know how to talk to the press shout out to mm-hmm. the few of you that do and have come on this podcast you're great i'm not talking about you maybe some of you but A lot of players don't know how to talk to the press. And I think that's because they don't do it ever until they Mm -hmm. become a pro player. And then suddenly they're thrown into it. That same thing is true of coaching. We played traditional sports growing up. I I still remember the names of my coaches from kindergarten. I was five years old and my soccer team had a coach. And that was somebody to look up to who gave you direction. And all throughout my life, every sports team I was ever on had a coach and usually a couple of assistant coaches. And so you get very used to taking coaching. Well, there ain't coaches on a rank ladder unless you pay for a service like Gamer Sensei or Gamers Ready or one of those yeah. like, you know, quick coaching lessons. It's not the formalized, hey, mm-hmm. you've got a coach as you're growing up, as you're learning this game. There's constantly a coach's presence. You're just playing the game and then you reach the highest level by yourself completely without a coach. And then somebody comes in and is like, okay, now I'm your coach. You have to listen to me and respect me. If I was a player, I'd be like, why? I got to this point without a coach. Why do I need one now? And that's something that esports hasn't answered. And I'm not sure ever will totally answer until we have formalized league of legends, little leagues and all those different I know yeah. some companies doing that kind of stuff, but we don't have it now. We won't have the same structure that we have in sports for at least a decade, if not much longer.
1: Definitely. Like, I uh I, I had a stint uh where I, I did some coaching and I, I ran into the exact same issues uh where League of Legends player he's diamond I'm platinum and he's like why should I listen to you <laughs> right and it it persists it persists everywhere like players at a professional level why 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 would they listen they they have no experience with that kind of thing as you said um. There, I feel like there needs to be just, just a, a a relook at how educational content is formed. Um, like how many times have you like looked up like on YouTube like a like a guide of how to how to get out of out of diamond, how to get out of silver, you know, top ten tricks to level up your League of Legends play. You know, it, it's it seems to be all about like quickly just like oh what one thing can i do but there, there is really no one thing to improving as to improve as a player and it, it's just about like what easy thing can i do to rank up fast and so it it, it goes back to emphasizing that this this like one trick like mentality our educational content is like supplying that this like ego driven like uh just solo role <laughs> uh just culture like even though I guarantee you, if we were to take like a like a one trick like Eisendong, who by all means is like a fantastic Heimerdinger player, if we were to put him on a professional roster, and even if he got to play Heimerdinger, he would not perform. I, I, I he would not perform. He, he's he's coached professional players on Heimerdinger. He's a challenger level Heimerdinger player. He would not perform. I, I think the same thing has happened with uh, Viper who. I believe is on FlyQuest. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sounds Viper. Right. He um he, he's a Riven one trick. He he grew up in this North American culture where all the educational content says, play one champion, play one lane. That is the fastest way to grow. And he did. He made it. He made it to professional play. But off of Riven, he has something like a thirty percent win rate.
0: <laughs> That's it. A- That's, that's a great point too, is it's, you know, this is the way to break into the top level. We don't really have, you don't go through college. That's the way that you get to the top level of traditional sports is you play or in, uh, in Europe for, for the soccer league starts way younger. You start in academy teams and you're coached up from a very, very young age. And in esports, you're literally just need to break through the clutter and get enough attention play enough games one tricking which will give you the highest success to break in to the top level and be like oh okay we've noticed that person we noticed that gamer tag that's Mm -hmm. all you have and so you need to have a very lofty win rate especially with one champion If you can push one champion to an absurd win rate that'll get you noticed more so than being a guy who has 55 percent win rate on 17 champions even though that player might actually be more adaptable long term players right now have you only get five year window to break into competitive league of legends at this point you need to do whatever you can to stand out and for a lot of players that means one tricking so maybe that's just a change that of how players and teams need to be looking for players and what they prioritize
1: yeah it's like player. uh Coaches like LS have mentioned that the the scouting is also an issue. Uh, we, we in North America have a, like a gumball machine of issues. We just pop out every day to look at. It. Uh, <laughs> why are we that? <laughs> yeah. Tell me Wait, right
0: we... now in one podcast. Why does it? <laughs> it's a lot of, yeah, like you said, there's a ton of issues. Scouting, analytics, coaching, uh, the whole mm-hmm. ecosystem that goes into it is just not fleshed out. Sorry, what were we saying about about scouting a little bit? Go into that because I think that's an important part, and that's something that coaches usually do. It all falls under these coaching staff that is not really yeah. being handled by any by esports coaches.
1: And uh, I, I was just gonna link that to something like uh, the minor leagues or the supposed minor leagues that that League of Legends has, has got to have. We have, we technically have a collegiate scene. But even that, like, no player has ever gone from collegiate to to Academy. It just doesn't happen. Because the, the collegiate scene it, itself is incredibly unstable. Like, you'll have one university's team with, like, uh, with like, master to challenger level players. And you'll have another university's team who has platinums. And one guy is, is just inviting all his friends. And then, <laughs> like... And I, I've got to think that it's just maybe, maybe time. Maybe time will fix it. Maybe we just need uh, more of the, the esports culture to to really set in. And maybe as like it grows with more money, more acclaim, uh, may, maybe people will start to take it more seriously. Maybe there'll be more consequences for like uh, for, for the for just incompetence. I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's 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 rough. We have a. Goddamn bucket of, of things to pull out of. That was, the next, in North America.
0: That was the next thing I was going to bring up was this concept of time. And, you know, the LCS was clearly a minor league. And, yeah, they're still not as good as the LPL or the LCK, but the gap's definitely closing slightly between the West and the East, as mm-hmm. evidenced by Worlds last year. Um, but there's still... Clearly a level of knowledge that doesn't go into it. Based on my fairly cursory knowledge of the LCK and the LPL for that matter, it seems like coaches are more well-respected, play a bigger role. Is this because the esports scenes in those countries have been more developed, especially in South Korea, the esports scene being... Uh, something that's been built up over years of starcraft uh, with the formation of a government body in the year of two thousand so twenty years later they've had mm-hmm. eSports infrastructure is that something that builds coaches because oh okay hey this player's quite quite a bit older than the playing age but still should be respected because they're very talented they have proven success is that just coaches just need a matter of time like it's it's easy to compare against the sports world when sports has had a, a century to build up coaches and build out these different people. You have coaches like um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, the the Penn State coach that uh, retired in, in infamy, but was at, over the age of ninety and still coaching. And you know that's the kind of thing that you have in sports. Is it just a matter of time for esports once we have some of those people who are clearly past their their playing age, but their knowledge is still respected and we'll see more coaches pop up or are some of these issues like truly ingrained in esports, and will never really be solved.
1: Hmm. So I, I think part of it is, is time. Like I think, I think just having uh, the resources, the, the knowledge and just like, I guess a claim as that builds up, uh, I think there will be more respect towards the coaching position and with more respect everything like more things will follow like just competency you know uh but i think there's also something to be said for the huge cultural difference as well um just outside of esports as well just a huge cultural difference like if you go to korea the uh not only is it incredibly accepting of the esports, like, uh, esports culture. Like, the name Faker is, is like the same thing as Steph Curry, there. Uh, like, th- this man is, is respected. He, he is like, he's truly and truly respected, not just going, Oh, he plays video games. What a nerd! You know, <laughs> like True. Th- this man's Michael Jordan, right? He he's famous. He's made a name, and like he got the the bonjour throne in Korea, right? I think I I probably butchered the Korea the Korean language there, but whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, You're not experts. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, like someone like. Like Faker is w- certainly well-respected and it doesn't matter that it's a video game. He's just an expert. He's, he, he's a professional and that's what he is. And then there's also something to be said about like uh, power structure cultures. Um, and this is just a personal theory of mine, uh, but power structure cultures in Korea is incredibly different. If you have a player that's been on the team uh, one year longer than another player, that player will have to just give incredible respect to that one year older player, that one year senior, even though like somewhere here in America, like we, we consider most people equals uh, within like something like eight years, like an eight year radius, you know? Uh, And I, I think that respect is, is completely different. Like if I, if I, if, Like there. Hmm. okay, so I think there's just this different mindset about how an individual holds himself in North America. Like there's got to be there's like a combination of ego and like individualism just kind of clashing with the optimal state of a of a team, you know? Uh, like there, when you're, when you're a player and you think you're better than everybody yeah, that confidence will drive you to improve. But at the same time, it's going to clash when you you meet other people that your ego won't let you, uh, take advice from or cooperate with. And uh, it's just that, that issue that we have in America is nowhere near as prevalent in the Eastern dominant uh, regions like Korea and China.
0: Absolutely. Uh, ego yeah. is huge, and it's huge in sports. It's why the most successful basketball coach of all time, depending on who you ask, of the modern era at least, is Phil Jackson. His biggest skill, and it's been said as much, was ego management. He coached the uh, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant to 11 total rings, and the secret was I can manage their egos. They respect my opinion, but I also... Know when to defer to them. And that's all. It, he got 11 rigs. You know, he's a very mm-hmm. smart man, a, a talented coach, no doubt. But that's what his common ability was was ego management. Same thing of Greg Popovich over at the Spurs is that, hey, you're going to play for the Spurs. You're going to buy in to my system. We're going to tone down your ego. And that's such a hard thing to do when you don't have a lot of pedigree to fall back on to be like, hey, i'm gonna I'm gonna attack my ego with your ego. Like faker is a great example. If faker retired and became a coach, you'd have to respect his opinion. You don't have a choice. Yes, he's of course. He's the best. and that's just not who eSports coaches are. they They aren't unfortunately right now, uh, except for maybe a few um, alternate examples, they're just not people who have that competitive pedigree. And then when you combine that with players that aren't used to being coaches and are used to, to coming up through online rank ladders or there are coaches, they don't mm-hmm. see any reason to respect them. And I honestly don't really blame the players. There's not a ton of reason to defer to a coach unless that coach makes it obvious why you need to listen to them.
1: Yeah, it's just... You, you start thinking it's like... It's got to be like a combination of, of time and maybe maybe the culture will evolve. Maybe North America will, will just... Overcome this 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 ego phase, but it, maybe that's just us. Though uh, I, don't I don't think I don't
0: think we're overcoming this at this point. Maybe yeah. maybe I could see it. American exceptionalism is taking a, certainly taking a hit over the last uh you know this pandemic especially it's like
1: ah (laughs) maybe
0: we're not so great guys you guys want to you want to examine that thought process a little bit but we're getting into geopolitics now so let's steer right right out of that real real quickly i'm just gonna go in there and just dip right back out um (laughs) but it's important thing to be aware of too especially where you have to check your ego at the door lcs players aren't the best sorry double if you're not you're not the best you might be the best in NA but you're not the best. Cloud9 you're the best team in NA. You're not the best in the world. Nobody has you has you pegged for the for the world championships nope. uh like the world finals this year. I'm sorry. Maybe you could do it. Cloud9 has a lot of success success on the world stage but you know we're never going to be the favorites. And so as that happens right now to be the best, we're going to need to to take some lessons from the leagues that are great. The LCK, the LPL, even the LEC now about how They think about team play and teamwork uh, if we want to ascend to that top level for the LCS or the MLS even. But wrapping up this podcast, we're at 45 minutes. That's always my target for a show. I had one final question and it's something that Mm -hmm. is quite interesting as you look at, who coaches are and where they have their background. Especially in sports, coaches are primarily ex-players, either people who played in college and then got roles on coaching staffs or uh, played at the highest level and then eventually became coaches, uh, usually elevating their status. It's like a Phil Jackson example. He was a pretty decent player uh, for the New York Knicks, but people remember him as a coach. In esports, when you have players retiring... At fairly young ages, I mean, we're talking about the average, what Uzi just retired this summer and he was 23, Mm -hmm. something like that. It's really interesting about where, how those careers develop. Like I think Uzi is a great example. If he wanted to become a coach, he would probably be a very well-respected one, even though he's just retired from competitive play, but he had that level of, of success there's the alternate career path that needs to be highlighted. Is that, hey, these players aren't. They can go stream. A lot of them are retiring to go be streamers or go be influencers, or maybe take on bigger roles within esports organizations. Generally, they're not becoming coaches, uh, and that's something that I'm not sure if that ever changes. The streamer pipeline is always going to be a problem for esports as players are like, wait, I don't I don't want to keep traveling to all these different events when I can actually make probably more money playing the same video game out of my room and set my own hours and negotiate my own brand deals. So I wonder if that's going to pose a problem for esports coaching going forward. What do you think? Do you think the streaming aspect and that, you know, the basically the the grandfathered path of, hey, I'm a great pro player. Okay, I'm done. I'm going to go be a streamer now. Do you think that poses a problem when we talk about the talent pipeline into esports coaching?
1: Definitely, definitely. I think it actually even ties in with the like American, North American retirement home problem. Cause a lot of times the, uh, the import players recognize that North America is the greatest region for developing a brand and transitioning into streaming. <laughs> we, we provide a lot of value towards like entertainment production. You can get those connections and like uh, you can connect more on an entertainment level uh, in North America. Like teams like Team Liquid have have streaming requirements. T- Team Liquid requires their players to stream because they know of the, the brand power that comes with content creation. And so, North America just has this ing- not just ingrained but just intentional like uh, perpetuation of of this of this issue. It where we want streamers like orgs are trying to create streamers out of their players, and I'm not sure it's it's hard because like a lot of these players, yeah, they they could become great coaches, but uh, <laughs> there's thousands of dollars to be made. <laughs> Uh, for probably a lot less work by, by streaming, you know? Um, Yeah. I I think just North America is going to have to try to find a balance to that. Um, And who knows, maybe, maybe it'll, uh, maybe coaches will start streaming their, uh, (laughs) their, their coaching sessions, you know?
0: That's something at the very least, you know, we have, it's so funny too. I'll bet if you were a pro coach and you put up your, uh, you went on something like Gamer Sensei or Gamers Ready and offered your services. No. People might be more inclined to go with a pro player than literally a professional coach. But I don't know what that totally says about how people perceive coaches in esports. But to me, I think there's a, a disconnect, especially in America, over what a coach does and the importance they play in esports versus you know, what it takes to be successful. There's a reason every single sports league, even individual sports like tennis, they have coaches like golf. They're constantly talking to their caddy. A caddy isn't really a coach, but they're giving them directions. They're suggesting clubs. Like every single sport that's ever existed has had somebody who's not playing, who helps guide the players. And in esports, it just doesn't seem like it matters that much, which is kind of wild.
1: Yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy. Like, cause yeah, we, we have all these issues and I think we need, we need, we need a better foundation, but the problem is our foundation just doesn't exist. So a better foundation is kind of hard. And so I think the only way to do this is just improve coaching, like tackle these coaching issues at the professional level. Um, cause then, uh, the, the lower levels, while, uh, like, just kind of bad, <laughs> like the collegiate and 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 just crazy random tournaments that happen in North America that don't really get watched. But th- they will follow suit. I think if if the LCS were to improve their coaches at, at the top levels, then the lower levels will have something to model themselves after, and things like coaching like uh, educational content and uh, and coaching and say co- the collegiate level will start to transform but here's uh, actually
0: here's a question for you we've the college to pro pipeline is not does not work in esports just because of the young age of players and the early age of retirement players are not graduating college at the age of 22 and then becoming pro players that's when uzi just retired he's at that age but what about the coaches if you're a coach at a college program say uc irvine or robert morris winning year after year with different crops of players Maybe that's the college pipeline. And they actually, this is where the best coaches are. And that's, if you want to be a coach in esports, I'm totally spitballing at this point. If you want to be a coach in esports, you go through the colleges, you come out of college, you get a degree in, in something related, uh, you manage college students all the time, and you bring that to to an org and be like, hey, I'm a great college coach. Let me be your pro coach. That'd be such an interesting pipeline. And actually might make sense for how colleges are seen as part of the traditional sports ecosystem. Mm-hmm. That's where most pro sports come from. If you're a new pro sport coach, you come from a college coach. And I can yeah. actually see that working in esports.
1: Yeah, I, I could definitely see that like developing. Um I I think the issue is like right now, the the coaches on the collegiate level are also students <laughs>
0: right right this, these are not uh, these are not the the legacy coaches who are 40 years old or... yeah
1: so most of the time when the players are graduating and moving on so are the coaches so there's not really a lot of coaches at the collegiate level like developing and compounding that experience but right. and if you're I a good of player, of college
0: work. you probably just want to compete you don't really want to coach the team for a year yeah yeah <laughs> Sounds like a lot of headache and not a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But maybe, maybe one day this could actually work and I I would love to see it. It also comes down to coaches being compensated a little bit more. There's no reason for somebody to become a coach uh, if they could be a player. But Mm -hmm. coaches aren't going to get compensated when they aren't worth the money. And right now they're not worth the money. Mm Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, I want to wrap up this podcast. Devin, thanks for coming on. Thanks for bringing this topic. It was a fun one to talk about. I think that it's going to constantly evolve how we perceive coaches, uh, especially in North America, as North America tries to be more successful. I'm going to give you a closing word. Do you want to plug your social channels, your writing, uh, your voice? What do you want to plug? Let, let, let the listeners know where they can find you, what they should be looking out for.
1: Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, I, I do have a Twitter. Uh, it's not Incredibly esports related, but I'll often uh, post a uh, an article that I am particularly passionate about. I'm probably going to r- do a write up similar to this topic on coaching soon, uh, and I'll post it there. But yeah, it's uh, Twitter at devinhuge08.
0: I love it. Follow him on Twitter. I'll link it in the bio of this podcast on his guest page. You can check it out. Thank you, Devin, for coming on the show. It was great talking to you, my man. Uh, hopefully, We'll talk with you again soon next time uh, a North American coach makes a bungle-headed decision in um, the middle of an LCS match. So uh, how about this time next week? Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> Cheers, man. Have a good one. That's all for this Esports Network podcast. We've got a jam-packed week. I'm actually not sure when I'm going to end up publishing this one um, because I've got another podcast recording this afternoon with the CEO of of dire wolves i've got a podcast with the head of unicorn to talk about some esports betting uh, and we have some more awesome podcasts coming up later in the week so be on the lookout for this one be on the lookout for some of those other topics as well either before this one or in the future for now i'm Mitchreams, and this was the esports network podcast in partnership with reuters